What it do, y'all? It's Uncle Jimmy here with Whitlock's Weekly Fire Starters. In case you missed anything, this is the place you come to get your updates, to know what happened in Fearless featuring Jason Whitlock. And with no further ado, let's see what we got. On Monday's show, Jason talked about these global athletes like LeBron James and the agendas that they carry around or the agendas that they push compared to athletes that are more about things at home domestically. Pretty nice little take to Whitlock pulled out on that one. Take a listen. Uh, LeBron James and his his show, The Shop. And they came out with a new episode uh, three, four days ago. It made news because Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens quarterback, uh, said, yeah, it's still there. And he said that in relation to LeBron and others saying that there's still racism and discrimination uh, for black quarterbacks in the NFL. And that made news. And, and then Lamar came out with a tweet because Adam Schefter tweeted it out and uh, that Le- Lamar said this on um, the shop. And, and Lamar basically tweeted out like, hey bro, pump the brakes, come on Adam. And he basically insinuated that's not what he really said. That, that, and, and, and I don't blame Lamar for doing this, so it made me go back and watch the clip to hear what was actually said. Let's play the clip. And by the way, he knows, he knows because when they told him he, he wasn't a, a real quarterback. That's right. Right, 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 real talk. Wait, they what t- happened? He had one of the most storied, successful, collegiate careers at quarterback anyone's ever had. And the pro teams are asking him if he wants to switch positions to play something else. It's very like, disrespectful. Yeah, why? Why did they ask you that? If I because, have no idea. Because you know, don't fit do the description. Know you, know, you do well, know why. Well, the truth is, there's a lot of history with them not wanting black guys to play quarterback. In football? Yeah. Tons of history. It started with, oh, they can't think quick enough. This, this, like, this is going way back, 70s, 80s, and it's still, it's dying off. Every day y'all give me more reasons to. It's dying off, but it's still there. It's still there. That's why I need that championship. That's why I need that championship. So, I'm gonna, this is why Lamar is being defensive about this, is because They created a conversation about him and the NFL and the quarterback position. Maverick Carter knows virtually nothing about the NFL. And I don't say that disrespectfully. I I used to know Maverick Carter. He's no football expert. Most people talking on TV, even people that are called NFL analysts and experts, Mina Kimes comes to mind. Uh, a lo- Stephen A. Smith comes to mind. Uh, a lot of people come to mind. They don't know what they're talking about. They're just talking. I would lump Maverick in with that group. Whoever, I think the other guy talking that wasn't LeBron was uh, Paul Rivera or some, some marketing executive or whatever. The, the little black woman, Quinta Brunson, based, I ended up watching a lot of the shop. She don't know what she's talking about, about a lot of shit. Uh, excuse my language. Uh, and it, none of these people know anything about the NFL, LeBron James included. And so they created a conversation and baited, begged 
basically Lamar Jackson to say, yeah, it's still there. That's why I need a championship. That's all he said. It wasn't his conversation. He wasn't driving it. He wasn't the instigator of it. The shop and LeBron James, it's their job to promote racial division. It's their job to bait someone to come on their show and to say America is racist. And they did it. They got Lamar Jackson to co-sign for it. Why would he do that? What, not, not Lamar, LeBron, why? He's a basketball player. He has a globalist perspective. All of these people from Kareem to Brittany Griner to LeBron James, here's their experience traveling abroad, Russia, China, Africa, wherever they go over the globe. They went because they're highly successful in LeBron and Kareem, and particularly in LeBron's case, LeBron's virtually a billionaire. Kareem, you know, if he hadn't blown all of his money, he's worth millions of dollars. And Brittany Griner's between the shoe companies, the WNBA and playing overseas, she's made a lot of money. These are super wealthy, easy to identify. Brittany Griner's six foot nine and a woman. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is seven foot two. LeBron James is six foot nine. You can recognize them anywhere, and they're basically millionaire celebrity influencers when they traveled abroad. How do you think they were treated? Like royalty until Brittany got caught with some hashes and, a, and vape pipes at the airport. When they traveled abroad as adults, having made a bunch of money, those countries and those people treat them like celebrity millionaires. And so their worldview is, oh my God, look at how well I'm treated in China. China's free of racism. Now in America, before I was a millionaire. So let's walk it all the way back to when Brittany Griner is just some six foot tall, 12 year old. I don't think she was treated all that well, probably by kids of any color. She was probably mocked and laughed at. Let's go back to when LeBron James is poor and in the ghetto and his first 10 years, I think lived in eight, 10, 12, 15 different houses, who knows? Let's go back to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Now, it's, you know, when he, long before he was an NBA or before UCLA paid him a bunch of money to go to school there. How whatever he experienced in America, maybe somebody was rude to him, maybe he got called the N-word, who knows? But they judge America and, and, and juxtapose America to the treatment they got when they were kids and then say, well, man, when I go overseas, I'm worshiped and I'm treated like royalty. They have no problem with black people in China or Russia or any place else where I'm worshiped as a celebrity millionaire. Now, how are they treated here in America 
as celebrity millionaires. I know LeBron had that Jussie Smollett, they painted the N-word on my $20 million mansion and we got no proof of it, no video, no nothing, and we erased it before the police could come there and investigate. If you buy that, I guess you could say LeBron's been mistreated as an adult. Someone, uh, and it, look, it, trust me on this, if someone spray painted the N-word on LeBron's mansion in, in Brentwood, there's a 90% chance it was a black kid. Because that's our favorite word. And you can find that graffiti and everything all over our neighborhoods in Los Angeles. I've seen it with my own eyes. But I don't believe it happened. And so bottom line, what I'm telling you is, LeBron is worshiped and treated as a celebrity here in America just the same as he is over there. Brittany Griner, treated as a celebrity over here in America. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, as adults, they have no experience, no understanding of how people of color, particularly dark skin, that aren't celebrity millionaires, how are they treated in China, Russia, and all these different destinations around the globe that they think are better than America? They don't have a clue. On Tuesday, Jason truly gets his skivvies in a bunch when he goes in on Russell Westbrook because, in case you haven't heard, Russell Westbrook is upset because fans are beginning to make fun of him and call him Westbrook, and it's uncomfortable for his family sitting by courtside. Oh, you gotta hear how this poor guy's being treated. I think yesterday or the day before she got into a little back and forth with uh, Skip Bayless, but yesterday she took things to a new level, uh, firing off a tweet or a post on Instagram uh, saying that when I'm being harassed on a daily basis over basketball games and I'm having obscenities and death wishes for me and my family sent my way because you're expressing your truth it's hard for me to get on board with that. Uh, she either tweeted or posted that uh, yesterday. And it's obviously the key word in here is death wishes. Someone, according to her, uh, they're having obscenities and death wishes. Imagine that over social media, obscenity and death wishes, vitriol, on social media, unbelievable. I mean, that never happens. Vitriol? People cursing on social, oh my God. Thoughts and prayers with the Westbrook family. Uh, they're the only people on the planet experiencing vitriol over social media. And so I, I, let, let's just take a moment and, and of prayer and thoughts and send positive energy uh, to the Westbrook family. Uh, it, it, I just couldn't imagine obscenity and death wishes uh, over social media. I, oh, I hope they get through it. Godspeed to uh, Westbrook and his family. So Russell Westbrook last night after the Lakers playing without uh, LeBron James, uh, he gets 
They get beat by the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, Westbrook had another uh, poor game, and he wanted to uh, back his wife's tweets up uh, by adding words and thoughts um, and complaints and whining, and he wanted to justify his wife's complaints and whinings. And so here's what Russell Westbrook had to say after last night's loss to the Spurs. I, I 100% stand behind my wife and how she's feeling because um, it's not just about this year. Um, right now, she's reached a point um, and my family has reached a point to where it's really weighing on them. Um, and it's very unfortunate um, just for me personally because um, this is just a game. This is just a game. This is not end-all, be-all. And um, when it comes to basketball, I don't mind the criticism of missing and making shots but the moment it becomes where you sh you know my name is getting shamed um it becomes a, a, a issue um i've kind of let it go in the past you know just because it never really bothered me but um it really kind of hit me the other day honestly i was uh, me and my wife was at um teacher parent conference for my son um and the teacher told me she's like uh, noah He's so proud of his last name. He writes it everywhere. He writes it on everything. He he tells everybody, walks around and says, I'm Westbrook, Westbrook, that's his last name. And it kind of, I kind of sat there in shock and it hit me like, damn, like I can no longer allow people, um, you know, for example, Westbrook to me is now shaming, like it's shaming my name. It's uh, my legacy for my kids. Um, it's a name that's, means more not just to me but to my wife to my mom my dad uh, the ones um that kind of paved the way for me and and that's just one example i mean that kind of hit myself and my wife in a, in a place where um it's not great man and and you know i think a lot of the, a lot of times you know i let it slide but it's now trying to put a stop to to that and put it on notice like there's a difference and I, we need to make sure that it's understood and every time i do hear it now i will make sure that i address it and uh, make sure that i nip that in the butt <clears throat> that what we just listened to and what he did last night is one of the most selfish narcissistic cowardly acts we will ever see from a professional athlete. And so I need you all to mark what I just said. And, and I'm taught Chris, Justin, whoever's listening, mark what I just said. It'll end with me saying it's one of the most cowardly acts we've ever seen from a professional athlete play the entire clip of Westbrook's comments, and then me saying it's one of the most cowardly acts I've ever seen from a professional athlete. And then pick it up again as I continue and explain why it's one of the most cowardly acts I've ever seen. This man just used his children as a shield. I'm playing terribly. I'm making $44 million. The Lakers are eight games under 500. I'm getting blamed and I'm going to use my wife and children as a shield to stop the criticism. Westbrick is shaming his name. 
fans chanting Westbrook is, is an assault on his children. Professional sports, college sports, high school sports have been going on for more than a hundred years. And fans have been coming up with clever nicknames for athletes that they love and athletes that they despise, athletes who are playing great, athletes who are playing poor. This has been the tradition for more than a hundred years. No one's calling him West P-U-S-S-Y, West U-M-F, West U, West Brick. It's a clever way of saying you can't shoot. And this man just stood before Lakers fans, Spurs fans, sports fans everywhere and said, if you call me Westbrook, I'm going to confront you. And he just stood before the media and put himself on a cross. Oh my God, my wife and kids. They're having to go through people making fun of me because I can't shoot. People ask me, man, why are you so hard on a handful of these athletes? Because the depth of their cowardice, their lack of foundational beliefs and values that I respect are non-existent. When you have a worldview defined by values, morality, integrity, a set of beliefs, a philosophy, and not a worldview based on skin color or sexual preference or gender identity. You, you, you're left with no choice. This man just used his kids as a heat shield. Stop criticizing me, it's hurting my kids. We've never seen this, at least I haven't, Maybe it's been done before. Someone bring me the proof where an athlete, where a grown man, let alone a grown man making $44 million for playing a game, would drag his kids into, oh, they're criticizing me because I can't shoot and I don't know how to be a winning player. That's what this is all about. Russell Westbrook has never been about winning basketball games. He's been about padding stats. He's been a gimmick. On Wednesday, I know I ain't supposed to say this, but it was my favorite show. Hey, NBA referee Ken Maurer returns to the show. He's back in the studio live to talk more NBA and tell some just overall great NBA stories. Talking about guys like the one and only Michael Jordan, Steph Curry, and well, just overall, just some. He's going to tell some interesting stories just about what it's like to be an official and some of the conversations that go on between the lines. You're going to love it. Take a listen. 
Ken Maurer, uh, you guys remember Ken uh, from his NBA refereeing days and perhaps from his appearance on this show a couple of weeks ago uh, where he talked about uh, the vaccine mandate the NBA imposed on NBA referees and uh, you know, basically pushed Ken and a handful of other refs out of the league. Uh, the conversation with Ken went so well last time that, you know, I kind of wanted to bring Ken back, not so much to talk about COVID and the vaccine mandates, but just sports and the NBA. Uh, Ken's kind of clever. Uh, and, and Ken, having refed in the NBA for 36 years, uh, over the course of, is that five different decades? You start in the 80s, 90s, 2000, 2010, 2000. Yeah, that's five different decades. I don't know how you do that in 36 years, but that's pretty impressive. Uh, but I want to bring him back just because he's got so much institutional knowledge of a league that uh, I think a lot of us uh, had a great deal of passion for and some of us still follow to some degree. I just want to talk some basketball with Ken this time. Uh, and so, uh, but, but Ken, welcome back. I do have to uh, start here and just ask, you know, has there been a lot of fallout? What was the reaction uh, to our first interview and people learning your plight and what, what happened to you this season? Well, first of all, thanks for having me back, Jason. I appreciate it. Um, you know, I didn't know what to expect and uh, either did my wife, uh, doing something that, you know, your show is pretty well received all around the, the country. And, and I, I, I didn't know what people would think. And I, I, through my career, I've, I've uh, you know, as, as a referee, you know, there's always been a lot of criticism, most of it negative. And, and, I th- and well-deserved, but go ahead. Well-deserved. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. That would be good to talk about. And so I'm, I'm used to that. Most referees in, in my position are. So that's not something that I'm not used to. But I, I was really anxious to see. And to answer your question, it was, um, it was better than I had even hoped, um, dreamed. I mean, um, my wife probably more than I went on to just see, you know, how would people would respond. And, and for the most part, I mean, you're always going to have a few naysayers that, that uh, for whatever reason, they have their opinions, and that's, that's okay. But it was, it was wonderful. I mean, I've received, I can't tell you how many phone calls and emails and texts and, and just, just, and just from, from your site. I mean, it's amazing the amount of people that, that have reached out, people, you know, that both friends of mine, people that I don't even know, people from all, all, all over the country. Canada. I mean, so it was um, it was good that they again, I never asked anybody to completely um, agree or understand. That's not what we're all about here. Either are you. And it's just to listen to what 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 I'm going through. And it's much like everybody, several other people in this country and to, to try to understand it and give it its, its due. And uh, so it, it was it's uh, it was humbling. It was very positive And um, I'm grateful. I'm sure Adam Silver and the NBA reached out and offered to fly you in for a long conversation. How did that go? You know, um, <laughs> I didn't I didn't expect it. Um, but, you know, when I, I went back and I listened to it, I listened to the whole thing with my wife and I, because I wanted to make sure that I that I said everything that that I meant and that I didn't take something out of context or whatever. I didn't. And um, again, it would be nice. I have not heard from the NBA since uh since last September. And they're going to say, because I have a lawyer. Well, 
I don't I don't really think that that's much of an excuse. Thirty six I mean, year employee. Yeah, I mean, I've, they've you no, know, they've never. But it was funny, you know, a couple of years ago when I had knee surgery, I remember after thirty four years, never heard from the league. Uh, one year I had uh, the reason I missed the bubble is because I had I had um, I, I, I had hip surgery, not hip surgery, but I had you know stem cell incorporated in my hip, which was a complete success. Never never one word from. Any part of management, anybody on the NBA staff, referee operations, nothing. So that's the thing that disappoints me the most uh, about about the NBA is they they sometimes claim to have this big family and it's it's um it's not always that way. I'm gonna ask one more question about COVID, and then I want to switch up and ask some specific things to you and being a, a successful referee for so long. Uh, the mandates. <laughs> At the State of the Union, you know, the whole country just said, you know what, we don't have to wear a mask anymore. We don't have to talk about COVID anymore. T- televisions dropped the topic. Uh, politicians have dropped the topic. States are, you know, moving away from all the mandates and, and imposing their will on people over. It's like COVID just went away, poof. And I think the NFL dropped all their protocols and, and there's a path for Kyrie Irving, I think, to play for the Brooklyn Nets this year at home games. And so with everybody uh, moving beyond COVID hysteria, uh, do you think that perhaps there's a path for you to return to the NBA? Well, I hope so. And that's one thing we never talked much about in the last interview that I, you know, I'm, I still want to go back to work. I mean, I, I loved my, I've been refereeing for, 50 years, over 40 years with the NBA, minor leagues and, 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 and you know, of course, in the big show. But, but I didn't never want it to really end my career like this. But, so I've always wanted to come back. I don't know if the NBA is going to allow an NBA referee ever again to referee in the league without being vaccinated. So um, in answer to your question, you've you got to remember, NBA players were never mandated. NFL players were never mandated. NFL referees were never mandated. Uh, Major League Baseball umpires were never mandated, just NBA referees. So, um, and again, you can call them and you can ask them. I mean, I, I, one of, one of a, 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 ref, um, um, a member of the table from the Houston Rockets, he's a good friend of mine I've known for 25 years, he, he, put, it the be- he put it the best way. He said, Kenny, um, I'm not working either. He called me up to say he saw our interview and he thought it was wonderful. He said, unbelievable, I'm so proud of you for speaking up for people that, like me that don't have the platform. And he said, the NBA came to me after he's been there 30 years, too. And he says, the NBA wanted all of us on the table and all the employees within the arena. They mandated that all of us take the vaccine to protect the commodity, the NBA player. But they didn't find it necessary to mandate the players not take the vaccine to protect me. So he said, I walked away. I did the same thing you did. I'm, I'm not, I, don't, I don't think that's fair. So he put it better than even I've been able to put it. Let's, wow. every, let's, let's everybody take the vaccine to protect the commodity. And I'm not saying that that's, hey, players of the league, they're important. I don't get me. But then we aren't going to mandate them to protect uh, the people on the table. So um, I don't know. I mean, it's Would funny. Did you put a name to that comment or do you just said a friend? 
or it's a, a good friend, a friend that worked at the at, at the table. Gotcha. Yeah, a, a friend that worked at the table for the Houston Rockets. Had been there thirty years, and he's not working this year either, like me. So he called me up to tell me, Ken, I'm not working either. I chose not to take the vaccine, and here's what happened That's to me. Great point. And I, you know, let's protect the commodity, but the commodity doesn't have to protect us. So, um, so in answer to your question is, is that I don't know what's going to happen. I I've talked with my attorney, and and um, he says, Kenny, we're going to be we're, my mandate's supposed to come up next month. So I definitely will keep you abreast as to what happens, because the EOC says that you have to your mandate has to be heard or ruled upon within six months. That's 180 days. I'm into my fourth month, almost the the end of my fourth month. So I have less than 60 days left. So they're going to hear and or rule on my on my on my case within 60 days. Now, we're appealing a religious exemption that was denied by my employer to a mandate that was illegal to begin with. And now no longer exists. So I don't know what the heck's going to happen. And um, I'm looking very much forward to finding that out. And I'll certainly keep you abreast. And this isn't a question. This is a statement because I want to move on. But your friend in Houston's made a marvelous point. And it's my problem with where the country is going. Hey, let's implement rules that protect the elite the people making the most money off of this game, the athletes, and I mean, they're making millions and millions of dollars, but let's mandate the vaccine to protect them, but they don't have to take the vaccine to protect you. That captures pretty much everything I think is wrong with American society, is we're, we're building, we're, Codifying, because some people say the country's always favored elites, not by rule and law since the civil rights movement in, in terms of we wiped off. We wiped out a lot of the rules and laws that, you know, slanted things one direction. And, yeah, I know that corporations work politicians and get rules that favor corporations and all that other stuff. But when you start codifying and making it normal within culture, uh, to, okay, there's this select group of people we're going to favor, and there's this other group we're not going to favor. They don't have the same rights, benefits, concern as everyone else. That's a country I don't want to live in, and I don't think, you know, for my 54 years, that's not what this country has been about. On Thursday show, Jason pulls back the covers and exposes Jesse Jackson, Samuel Jackson, Action Jackson, Stonewall Jackson, and anybody else in the NAACP who came out of the closet in support for the Alphabet Mafia leader, Jesse Smollett. Jesse Smollett. Juicy Smollett. Juicy Smollett. However in the hell you say his name, that boy that claimed that little hate crime happened, he bought all the Jacksons out for it. Uh, Jussie Smollett reveals <clears throat> the fraudulent convictions of the grievous of the grievance industrial complex. Today, as Smollett faces sentencing for the racial hoax he orchestrated three years ago, the grievance industrial complex's leaders are rallying around the man who undermined the credibility of their life's work. According to the New York Times, The Reverend Jesse Jackson is gravely concerned about Smollett's safety if he's incarcerated, stating in a mercy letter sent to the judge that Smollett 
quote, is a well-known nonviolent black gay man with Jewish heritage, end quote. Hold, let me run that back one more time. Smollett is a well-known nonviolent black gay man with Jewish heritage. Well-known black gay man with Jewish heritage. Oh, he's also nonviolent. Everybody knows that well-known nonviolent black gay men with Jewish heritage should not suffer harsh consequences for their crimes. I mean, Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King sacrificed their lives so that well-known nonviolent black gay men with Jewish heritage could try to incite racial division and unrest without fear of leg legitimate retribution. According to the New York Times, Jesse's letter, uh, not Jesse's letter for Jesse, went on to say Jesse has already suffered. He has been excoriated and vilified in the court of public opinion. His professional reputation has been severely damaged. End quote. Uh, the scorn of white people, Smollett and his supporters classify as bigots is punishment enough, according to Jesse Jackson. Jesse is not alone. Derek Johnson, the president of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, otherwise known as NAACP, also penned a letter pleading for the judge to show mercy on Smollett. The black civil rights community has not excoriated or vilified Smollett. The actor remains a hero among activists who claim to have dedicated their lives to uplifting black people and protecting our reputations. In December, a jury convicted Smollett of lying to police about a racist and homophobic attack in Chicago. Smollett orchestrated the hoax, paying two black men to help him stage the ruse. The jury convicted Smollett of five of six charges of felony disorderly conduct, his maximum sentence is supposed to be around three years in prison. Jackson, Johnson, the NAACP, and other alleged racial justice advocates are asking for Smollett to receive no jail time. Their position makes little sense given their alleged line of work. Jesse Smollett undermined the work of civil rights organizations. He undermined the credibility of every black person who alleges he suffered bigotry. Smollett is the boy who cried wolf learned no lesson. He's expressed no remorse. If the black judge setting his sentence does not acquiesce to the pleas of Jackson and NAACP and chooses to send Smollett to jail, the actor will claim he's a victim of a racially discriminatory justice system. Smollett still sees himself as the victim and a victim. I mean, he's a well-known, nonviolent black gay man of Jewish heritage. How could he not be a victim? The American system was set up to destroy him. How Jesse Smollett managed to slip through the cracks and become a celebrity millionaire is a mystery we may never solve. On a more serious note, Smollett deserves three to six months of jail time. If Jackson and Johnson were serious about advancing the cause of black or colored people, they would have excoriated Smollett three years ago and they would be infuriated today because Smollett has yet to express an ounce of remorse. Could you imagine someone trampling your life's work 
and not being outraged? Jackson's alleged lifelong mission is fighting racial discrimination. His Rainbow Coalition is based in Chicago, where Smollett pulled his stunt. Listen, I, I get it. I understand that Jesus forgave Judas. But I bet the other disciples are still fuming. Jesse Jackson isn't Jesus. Jackson is the Judas who betrayed Dr. King's life's work. Jackson and Smollett betrayed black people. Perhaps that's why they remain allies. One is an actor, the other is an activist. You figure out which is which. Had Smollett's hoax been believed, it would be easy to imagine rioting in Chicago, a city already plagued with violence and racial division. Jackson calls himself a minister and says his Rainbow Coalition is about bringing people together. See, Smollett lied and attempted to spark, spark division. Christianity is about truth and unity. Smollett's lack of repentance marks him as an agent of Luciferian chaos. And this is who Reverend Jesse Jackson is pleading for? We should not be surprised. The grievous industrial complex is completely fraudulent. It's built on hoaxes, distortions, and misinformation. Melina Abdullah, a founder of Black Lives Matter in Los Angeles, she penned a mercy letter for Smollett. Has there been anything more fraudulent than the LGBTQ movement's use of BLM as a beard and Trojan horse for an agenda to destroy the nuclear family? Smollett, Jackson, Abdullah and Johnson are all soldiers in the BLM LGBTQ plus alphabet mafia. It's their sworn duty to protect the welfare of well-known, non-violent, black, gay men with or without Jewish heritage. On Friday's show, I can only describe it in four words. Sweet black baby Jesus. <laughs> If you missed the Jesse Smollett sentencing on Thursday night, if you missed it, i tell you who didn't miss it. Jason Whitlock didn't miss it. And you've got... <laughs> wow! You got to hear his take on this one. Inside a Chicago courtroom early Thursday evening, the man Jesse Jackson described as a well-known, non-violent, black, gay man of Jewish heritage, that man cast himself as Nelson Mandela. As sheriffs escorted the civil rights activist, Jussie Smollett, to a Cook County jail cell, the convicted felon thrust his half-black fist into the air, declared his innocence, and shouted once again, I am not suicidal. Watch for yourself. I am not suicidal. Stop laughing about black people. I am not suicidal. And I am innocent. I could have said that I was guilty a long time ago. Mm. And I don't know if you heard the woman in the background. Stop locking up black men. What about half black men uh, with Jewish heritage who are gay and well known? Should we not lock them up? Uh, 
Bizarre does not adequately describe the courtroom proceedings that ended with a judge sentencing Smollett to 150 days in jail and 30 months of probation, and the former TV star emphatically posturing as a political prisoner. He's America's Nelson Mandela. Smollett arrived at his sentencing fashionably late, like a celeb taking his NBA Finals courtside seat minutes after tip-off. On the way into the courtroom, Smollett and his entourage and bodyguards shoved their way past members of the media, knocking one man to the ground. Mm. Once inside, Smollett's uh, nightmare team of lawyers and character witnesses constantly relitigated the five guilty verdicts from his race hoax trial, condescendingly lectured the judge, and displayed a level of arrogance, entitlement, and the cluelessness that would embarrass an off-the-wagon Hunter Biden. Apparently, there's no stronger delusion than half-black privilege. Smollett's 92-year-old white grandmother hammered that point 90 minutes before her grandson began his long walk to freedom. Smollett's granny took the witness stand and threw herself into the role of Winnie Mancaren. She blasted the media for failing to properly investigate the events that turned her heir, sp her spoiled heir, into a five-time felon. She wagged her finger at the judge, telling him, I asked you, judge, not to send him to prison, and if you do, send me along with him, okay? Judge James Lynn scolded and berated Smollett for a half an hour before rendering Smollett's sentence for premeditating an elaborate, buffoonish, and farcical racial hate crime hoax and repeatedly lying about it to the police, a jury, and the judge. Watch this. You're not a victim of a racial hate crime. You're not a victim of homophobic hate crime. You're just a charlatan pretending to be a victim of a hate crime. And that's shameful, especially from the family you got brought up with, with your family values. <clears throat> it's so sad. So I'm trying to consider who you are as a person, how you got here, how somehow you strayed away from your family values, you let that dark, narcissistic, selfish, and arrogant side come out, and you persisted with it for years on this case. Yeah, charlatan, pretending to be a victim. The description applies to many of Smollett's high-profile supporters, particularly Jesse Jackson and Derek Johnson, the president of the NAACP. Jackson, Johnson, and Smollett exemplify the pervasive exploitation, perversion, and commercialization of the 1950s and 60s civil rights movement. A righteous, dignified movement that fought for freedom and opportunity for everyday black people has been turned into a branding hustle for celebrities and other elites. They stand on the neck and backs of dead career criminals, feign outrage, enhance their brand and or move up the corporate ladder and use their growing wealth to move closer to white people, white neighborhoods, white schools, and so-called white supremacy. Jussie Smollett made it to the promised land, the land where Barack Obama, Colin Kaepernick, Brian Flores, Meghan Markle, Trevor Noah, Don Lemon, and other elite BIPOCs are told the truth doesn't apply to them. They exist in a bubble of delusion and confusion created specifically for them by their liberal political puppet masters and policed by corporate media. 
Smollett was groomed for this bubble since birth. His family clearly nurtured and fed the arrogance, selfishness, and narcissism Judge Lynn found astounding. There's no other explanation for Smollett's family's unhinged desperation to shield him from the consequences of his race hoax. Had Smollett's grandmother and brother been motivated by love, they would have been far less defiant, angry, and smug at Thursday's sentencing. Guilt explains their tone and behavior. They created Jesse Frankenstein. They've been the supporting actors in Jesse's Nelson Mandela cosplay for four decades. They simply stayed in character after hearing the sentence, claiming Smollett's 150-day verdict was another example of the discrimination American black men face in the criminal justice system. Jesse Smollett finally melted down. Watch for yourself. Do you have any questions? No, I would just like to say to Your Honor that I am, uh, I am not suicidal. That's what I was about to say. Okay. I am not suicidal. Okay. I am not suicidal. I am innocent and I am not suicidal. If I did this, then it means that I stuck my fist in the fears of black Americans in this country for over 400 years and the fears of the LGBTQ community. Your Honor, I respect you and I respect the jury, but I did not do this and I am not suicidal. And if anything happens to me when I go in there, I did not do it to myself. And you must all know that. You know what I found fascinating about that clip? And, and I was watching this live yesterday. It's how Smollett's lawyers never flinched. Basically had no reaction. The one woman eventually stood up with him, but the, the, the male attorney, uh, to the to Smollett's right, that guy like never moved. He never came up out of his laptop. The female that stood up with him, she never made eye contact with him. And so this guy's melting down. His attorneys know they're melt. He's melting down. To me, it was. I'm not even blaming the attorneys. I'm blaming Jesse Smollett because I think the attorneys know like we're representing a crazy person. We knew this was a possibility. He gave us instructions and called for us to behave in a way that was going to land him in jail. And so I think, particularly the guy sitting down, the dark-skinned attorney sitting down, he's sitting there, I think he's sitting there saying, Jesse, I tried to tell you. I'm not even gonna look at you and your bizarre behavior because I told you if we came out here and read all these letters and you, you let your brother get up there and, and, and uh, you know, relitigate the case, even though he kept saying, I'm not gonna relitigate the case, uh, but he and the 92-year-old grandmother were so condescending to the judge, so condescending, that I'm sure those attorneys like, whew, this ain't gonna play well with this judge. And so when he started melting down and, and he, after he got what he deserved, what he richly deserved, the lawyer had no expression. I ain't even gonna look at this clown. This Jesse Smollett, we read all, all those letters from elites and Jesse Jackson and Samuel L. Jackson's wife talking about what a great person he is and Jesse did this and he raised money for Colin Kaepernick's this and he gave money to X, Y, it's all a gimmick. It's all branding. He didn't do it with any authenticity. It wasn't what's really in his heart. He was building a brand. 
It's not authentic because his family isn't authentic. That 92-year-old grandmother, condescending, arrogant, that was the epitome of privilege. She got up on the stand, waved her finger at the judge, and talking about sending me to jail with him. And Justin Smollett just sitting back, uh, wiping tears because his 92-year-old grandmama's fitting to come up here and tell this judge, give her a piece of her mind. And my brother gave him a piece of his mind. Arrogance, run amok. That ju- they left that judge with no choice but to send that guy to jail. No remorse, no admittance, just delusion. And his family fed it to him. Yeah, so the judge writes, there's nothing the judge could do worse than what Smollett has done to himself. He swallowed his own hype. And Smollett definitely did it to himself. No one is denying that. He destroyed his name, reputation, and career three years ago when he foolishly claimed white MAGA had it wearing thugs, lassoed him with a noose, and tried to harm him. Smollett destroyed his chance at avoiding jail time by instructing his army of lawyers to behave as though their client was the last innocent man and a victim of political revenge. In the immediate aftermath of his hoax, Smollett went on NBC, sat down with Robert Roberts, and acted like he was the target of violence because of his criticism of the sitting president, Donald Trump. This interview that I'm about to show you, this clip, is exactly why Jussie Smollett had to go to jail. Watch. Why do you think you were targeted? I can just assume, I mean, I come really, really hard against 45. I come really, really hard against his administration. And I don't hold my tongue. Now, I've already mocked this previously, months ago. I come really, really hard at 45, and I use my tongue. This dude is a nut job. And Robin Roberts and Jesse Jackson and everybody else who enabled this nut job needs to be ashamed of themselves his family, the entire posse convinced this B-list actor that Trump represented American apartheid and Jussie was the half-black gay Nelson Mandela. Smollett is a victim. He's a victim of CNN, MSNBC, The New York Times, Twitter, and Facebook. Corporate and social media radicalized Jussie Smollett. They did the same thing to half of America. They developed and released the Trump derangement virus that ignited a five year and still counting pandemic of irrational behavior. The exact same platforms radicalized a significant segment of Trump supporters who stormed the Capitol. One of the president's supporters, Ashley Babbitt, was murdered. Many others remain in jail or have been handed long prison sentences. Jussie Smollett may never realize how easy he got off. Ashley Babbitt has far more in common with Nelson Mandela than Jussie Smollett. 
and she wasn't suicidal either. Hey, thank you all for listening. Go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit the likes, hit the subscribes, join the Fearless Army, get the new Fearless Army swag gear. And once again, watch Fearless every day featuring Jason Whitlock. And we'll see you back here next week. Uncle Jimmy. Deuces! Deuces!